0: Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. I hope you're all easing into this season of darkness, post daylight savings, which I know can be a pretty difficult time for many of us. I'm focusing on comforting foods, lots and lots of candles, shout out to Dollar Tree. And my latest obsession, I know I'm really late to, which is Squishmallows. They're just so comforting and cozy and squishy and soft, highly recommend. I'll be hosting my family for Thanksgiving at my house this year, which is absolutely my ideal scenario. I get to really settle in and nest with no travel plans until later in December. After a grueling seven-month home renovation, finishing out our basement space, this is more than welcome. While I think it's important to dismantle the damaging and utterly false narrative of the quote-unquote peaceful Thanksgiving feast, I also really relish in this time of year. Cooking is a love language for me, and it's so lovely to have a reason to prepare something extra special and practice some very intentional gratitude. Speaking of gratitude. I want to give a shout out to those of you who have started following my newsletters and Patreon. We've launched a gorgeous seven-part chakra meditation series, with the first in the series, The Root Chakra Meditation, being available to all on the main podcast feed. The other six chakra meditations will be available only to patrons, and the Sacral Chakra Meditation just went up on Patreon this week. My intention is that you can spend a couple of weeks working through each chakra, so I'll be rolling the rest out bi-weekly throughout November and December. Each meditation features custom healing frequency music by our very own Misuzu Inaga. I hope they serve your system and help you find more balance this winter season. The Chakra Meditation Series is actually an excellent companion to today's episode, where I interview aura photographer Jane Grody of Tertiary Sight here in Nashville. She teaches us about her colorful dreams beginning in childhood, her course of studying and teaching methods for perceiving energy, and the science behind her incredible aura camera that she uses at her candy-colored studio. As mutual art and art history enthusiasts, Jane and I could not help nerding out a bit about some of our favorite artists and the way their work has influenced how we see the world. The way Jane described her reading of the colors of the aura as manifestations of our energy got me thinking about the parallels between color and emotion. Just as with our emotions, there are no good or bad colors in the aura. Each one contains multitudes and so many layers of information. This is actually a core concept of EFT or emotion focused therapy, which I often use in my work with couples. This modality involves a lot of psychoeducation about the emotions we have been taught are bad or unattractive or wrong, which blocks our ability to express ourselves with our partners authentically and speak to both the ways we're being triggered as well as our emotional needs. So there's a lot of unlearning and experimentation with approaching emotions with curiosity rather than judgment. I recently discovered the Art History Babes podcast, something else I'm late to, and was thrilled to come across their two-part Color Theory episodes earlier this week, which I highly recommend. In these episodes, they quote the artist Joseph Albers from his 1963 book, The Interaction of Color. He writes, quote, In visual perception, a color is almost never seen as it really is, as it physically is. This fact makes color the most relative medium in art. In order to use color effectively, it is necessary to recognize that color deceives continually. To this end, the beginning is not a study of color systems. First, it should be learned that one in the same color evokes innumerable readings. Instead of mechanically applying or merely implying laws and rules of color harmony, distinct color effects are produced through recognition of the interaction of color by making, for instance, two very different colors look alike or nearly alike. The aim of such study is to develop, through experience, by trial and error, an eye for color. This means specifically seeing color action as well as feeling color relatedness." It's no accident to me that color is this unknowable thing. It's impossible to actually define empirically, much like many of my favorite esoteric subjects. I recently took a class on psychism and color, and we did an exercise where we tuned into our partner's energy and tried to see if we could perceive three distinct colors. Then we let ourselves get more information about each color via our emotional response as we tuned into each one. It was such a powerful working and it helped me understand just how magical color can be. I was lucky enough to grow up visiting the Rothko Chapel in Houston, Texas, one of my first tastes of a sacred space truly designed to welcome people from all walks of life. When you step into the dome-shaped modern building, you're greeted with the literature from copies of the King James Bible to the Quran to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, When you enter the Chapel Hall, you are completely enveloped with these massive-scale, inky, indigo Rothko paintings, expanding to infinity in every direction. It is truly otherworldly, a portal. I loved disappearing into this place as often as I could, allowing time to melt away and experiencing the sensation of just being Color can let us remember our interconnection, our eternalness, our true nature. I'll leave you with this quote from Rothko. Quote, I am not an abstractionist. I'm not interested in the relationship of color or form or anything else. I'm interested only in expressing basic human emotions, tragedy, ecstasy, doom, and so on unquote. With that, I am proud to present my interview with Jane Grody. Jane Grody, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Jane and I have been trying to make this happen for a minute. So yeah, we're both pretty Mm -hmm. stoked. Jane, please just introduce yourself for the listeners. Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Absolutely. So my name is Jane Grody. I am an aura photographer, aura reader here in Nashville, Tennessee. I am the Owner, operator, maven, most of the things behind tertiary site. Yes, tertiary site
0: is so fabulous. And we will be talking more about that as the conversation unfolds. Also, just the word maven, like, you have such a way with words, Jane. I love, I love following you on social media. I love your readings. They're just so rich. They're so rich in terms of the wording and the artistry of of words. So I love Ah. that.
1: Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Oh my gosh! Thank well, you. I mean
0: it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's start with our traditional tarot yeah. moment, if that's okay. I'm so excited. Yes, please. Well, Jane, you do so many readings for other people. It's probably fun to have someone like pull a card for you. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Yay! Okay, I'm gonna shuffle. I've got my Rider Waite Smith deck. Just you know, it's a classic. A classic. Yeah. It's a classic for a reason. Okay, so as I am shuffling, I am just setting an intention for just a little bit of guidance for our conversation. Mm-hmm. We're going to let it go where it needs to go. So the tarot can yeah. give us some, some yummy little clues about what's going to be fruitful for us today. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, here we go. So this is the card that jumped out of the deck. Oh, Yes, queen. We got the ace How of pentacles. How? For the listeners, I'll just describe it quickly because most of you probably don't have tarot memorized. I know I certainly don't. <laughs> so this is a card where all of the aces in this traditional deck have this imagery of like a hand extending out of the sky, like out of the clouds. And because this is the Ace of Pentacles, this hand is holding uh, the pentacle disc. So it's shaped like a coin, it's yellow. And then um, there's this really beautiful kind of lush landscape it's got flowers, lilies, there's even kind of a um, a greenery adorned entryway that leads you out to the landscape of the mountains. So it's like a very kind of interesting card in terms of looking yeah. ahead to what what might be out there in the great mm-hmm. beyond. So it's a beautiful card. Aces are lovely. So let's just start with your kind of intuitive take on like, what how does this card kind of hit you? Like what comes up for you?
1: Absolutely. And so I'll say, you know, tarot, like you were saying, tarot is such a big and vast thing. While I casually read tarot cards just for myself for a long yeah. time, I am not a tarot expert by any means. Yeah. If memory serves me, that's a card of really like things coming to fruition. Yeah. Now, looking at you holding the imagery of the card, I was just struck by this line that I sing all the time. It's from Beauty and the Beast. Nice. And it's, I want an adventure in the great wide somewhere. <gasps> yes. I want it more than I can tell. Oh my God, yes. Because it, it just looked like the great wide somewhere. Sing it, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. That's the thing being able to capture a moment from a piece of art or a song that speaks to the mm-hmm. image. That, like, honestly, yeah. that's my favorite way to, like, relate to the cards is not to try to make it too left brain and too logical, but to let it just stay right brain creative. Yeah. Yeah. an adventure in the great wide somewhere. And then I, what I would Uh add to that is that, you know, the way that I tend to read pentacles is that it's about like groundedness, earthiness, material realm, like things that I can see and touch so there's this idea of like the adventure but it's coming from this very kind of grounded place Uh uh-huh which I love. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a really beautiful card. And I also just think that aces are so representative of like the eternal spark of like an mm. idea, right? Ooh, so it's like, yes. yeah. So I get this idea about something that can lead me into the great wide somewhere. And I'm so excited uh-huh. about it. And then uh-huh. I kind of follow that trail of breadcrumbs along the way. Mm-hmm. And that spark mm-hmm. just leads me where I need to go. So, yes.
1: oh, that's so, yeah, love that fun. Yeah. I love where you just talk about kind of that spark. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yay. I will keep this card here and just kind of keep an eye on it as we talk and just notice if there's any other little little messages. So fun. Let's transition Mm -hmm. and let's get into kind of the dream realm for you. So first of all, Jane, are you like a dreams person? Are you like a dream journaler? Like what's your kind of, you know, practice around dreams,
1: if any. Totally. You know, I'll say that I at one time definitely was a dream journaler. Mm -hmm. I have, especially this month, I have kind of lost that a little bit. happens and so it it, right, it's all an open of flow it is something that I do hope to flow back into because dreams are just so fascinating I agree yeah there have been times when I have kept a dream journal and then the other thing I have tend to do is use is it just all dream theory he was a psychologist mm-hmm. who his Theory and dream work is that you are everything in your dream. Yes. So you like go through and you're like, ah, I had a dream about this woman flying on a pair of scissors. I am the woman on the flying, flying on the pair yes. of scissors. Yes. What message does the woman on the scissors have for me? Exactly. That's the kind of dream work that I have done a lot more of. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: okay. So. For that type of dream work, my understanding of it is that there is a theory of sort of subjectivity. So Mm -hmm. what that means is that every kind of key symbol in the dream represents an aspect of me and my own, you know, sort of psyche, Mm -hmm. shadow, what have you. Yeah. 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 So in the example you gave, it's like, instead of trying to figure out what that woman means or how, what she could represent it's like how how is she reflected as like a part
1: of who i am exactly yeah. yes cool and that has always uh, been pretty interesting to me especially you know kind of saying is like i have a lot of very surrealist dreams yes and so like looking up things in like a dream dictionary has not always been the most fruitful for mm-hmm. me Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I'm not having those like super common go-to symbols. My symbols are a little more maybe esoteric. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. A little more out there. So the term surrealist, right? Tell me about sort of like what that term means to you.
1: So surrealist means that like I always think about it as kind of a candle that's melted. And like the candle was like very real right the yeah. candle had its traditional shape and function and then it got set on fire and it changed <laughs> and I always think about surrealism and this is probably because of the Dolly clocks I just thought oh about for that.
0: sure but, the, the classic um, work of art by yeah. Salvador Dali where there's the melted time pieces
1: draping exactly. over this desert landscape yeah I'm sorry, just piece that together. Yeah. But I always think about it as like surrealism is kind of that melting. It's where things, you know, are what they were and yet there's something different that yes. is like based in that kind of original purpose. But the shape has changed. The shape mm-hmm. is pliable.
0: Yes, yeah. I Okay, again, listeners can already start to get a sense of what I mean when I say you have such a way with words, you speak in these images, they're so powerful. So when I'm listening to you talk about how you see surrealism, I'm thinking about the way that our experiences and the way that Mm -hmm. we see the world can get sort of alchemized and changed. And so we can relate to our symbols differently over time, by like seeing them through these different kinds of filters. Mm -hmm. Like when you talk about a candle melting, it's like, yeah, there's been like an alchemical process there. It's transformation. It's change, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which is the only constant. So surrealism is such a fun way to like play with those. Themes. absolutely yes yes now so going back to surrealism surrealist dreams now that we've mm-hmm. riffed about that a little bit can you give us some examples of like maybe some themes that come up in these dreams like what kinds of situations do you find yourself in in your surrealist
1: dream world for sure so um i will say like often i feel like i am not necessarily even there Ooh. i'm just kind of amongst these things, interesting, and like so. The one that was coming to mind, it was like this, like parade of elephants that was like simultaneously happening, and like I don't think it necessarily was Las Vegas, but it was like the Las Vegas Strip, okay. But it was like all elephants. The big to do was that circus. The circus peanut candy was like becoming real peanuts. Stop. I know exactly where to're with. The orange, they're like big, yes. And so, <laughs> yes. like those, but they were real peanuts, they were becoming real peanuts. And like some of the elephants were like really ornately
0: dressed. But you in this dream, you are not necessarily participating as much
1: as you're just sort of observing, yeah, yeah. I think I was just mostly observing. That's
0: fascinating, yeah. Also, like I have such a vivid image
1: now, like in my mind. Totally. I feel like oftentimes I tend to also have these surrealist dreams where it's like uh, a landscape. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, it might be more of a literal landscape where it's like a lush garden. I feel like I have a lot of gardens in my dreams. But oftentimes it's just this like kind of abstract like swirl of color. Ooh. And then, like things appear within that like abstract swirl of color. oh, I'm into that, yeah.
0: Uh, okay, so we're going to work from the elephant dream and then we're going to go back okay. through these colorful dreams. Okay. Let's say we were going to look at this dream in terms yeah. of subjectivity that just don't uh-huh. kind of lens. Yeah. So then elephant could represent
1: what? Oh my gosh. I think for me, I always think of elephants and like knowledge. Yes, me too. And so, like, kind of this like quest for knowledge, right? Like, they were on parade, they were going somewhere. Where is the knowledge going? Yes. Yeah.
0: I love that. That is. Definitely a good example of one of those kind of mythological or like collective themes. Mm-hmm. Like we all have like an elephant never forgets, like floating around. Yeah, in our, yes. like in our psyches somewhere, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You see a symbol like that and you're like, oh, okay, like we're gonna learn something here. Yes. We're we're on our way to learning, mm-hmm, growing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh, that's fun. Uh-huh. And then okay. Thinking about like the little candies turning uh-huh. into like there was this kind of, again, almost this alchemy or magic mm-hmm. of like this mm-hmm. representation of this thing also uh-huh. is the real thing and vice versa, like imagination versus reality, letting those things
1: blend. Oh, I think that is so interesting to thinking about like the real versus the like cartoon mm-hmm. The real versus the imitation, like seeing yeah, the kind of the transformation between reality and things made. Yep. Well, and a dreamscape is such
0: a perfect place to like play with that and be like mm-hmm. your feeble human minds tend to see these things as as separate. But mm-hmm. what if they're not? Yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah. Because I don't know like when I think about that specific kind of Mm -hmm. image and what you were saying, Mm -hmm. you brought up cartoon. I love that too. There's something here with like cartoon or like two-dimensional. Yes. This is like three-dimensional. There's something about Mm -hmm. dreams playing with like
1: dimensions, dimensionality. I don't know. Oh, totally. No, I mean, that is really interesting to think about. (laughs) Yes, yes. Mm
0: -hmm. Ah, It just like gets my
1: wheels turning. It's just just Oh, yeah. Well, there's just like endless possibility for it, right? Exactly. Where it's like it's not that you're like, okay, I have arrived, I understand the meaning of the dream. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, maybe. Yes, yes. and yes, like
0: yeah. that's the whole point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that you don't arrive? I okay. So then now I'm looking at the Ace of Pentacles again, and it's like the great oh. wide somewhere. You don't like get yeah. there one day and just be exactly. like, cool, here it is.
1: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you just kind of keep yeah going exploring expanding uh-huh. eternal unfolding shall mm-hmm. we
0: say yes yes okay let's talk about the color dreams because this is fun totally. because of course this ties into what you do and the aura Absolutely. photography so tell yes. me a little more about these dreams and kind of how like how they impact you like
1: how do they so, tend to feel definitely thinking about like and I don't know that I've had this dream in a couple of years but the number one reoccurring dream I've had in my life is like waking up in this blue room Mm. and it's like waking up in a blue room and it's close to water okay like in my adulthood thinking about it having the dream and like Getting more of a sense of where it was, like struck on it being something more like the Netherlands, like Amsterdam, where you, there's a lot of homes that are like really close to canals. For sure. Now that's the place I've never been. At least not consciously. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know explicitly that that's what it's like, but it's just like really close to water. It's this bright blue room. And yeah, just this sense of like the light filtering in through the blue. And like, Ooh. that's pretty much it. That's that's the dream. There's not a lot else.
0: It's just a vibe.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So can you tell us about Blue? Mm-hmm. What does Blue mean to you?
1: You know, Blue is really interesting. And so I'll say there's a few levels to this. Mm-hmm. So there is a great book called, I think it's Blue by Maggie Nelson. Nice. And she arranges all these facts about Blue in a really interesting way. Love. More people on earth say blue is their favorite color than any other color. Humans can see more shades of blue than they can see any other color. Wow. And so it's like really fascinating because blue has, all the colors have a range for sure. But blue like scientifically has a wider range for how we see color. So blue for, for in terms of my work and the way that I look at it, it's like blue is the color of the seeker of truth. Oh, and, oh yeah. And thinking about like, there's so many different ways you could take this, but like truth has all these multitudes, right? Like it's not one thing again with that idea of like change is the only constant, you know, if change is the only constant, truth is change is the constant is Oof. is the same. And so thinking about it as in like this like truth is like the ocean because it has all these multitudes and these depths and they're like interdependent on each other, right? And so blue is really fascinating because it's always, it's also been a really significant color for me in terms of oral photography. Okay. So the first time I remember having that dream, I was like a kid, mm-hmm. um, probably around seven or eight is the first time I was really cognizant of having that dream I when I got my first aura photo taken when I was 15 it was only blue wow and actually my first four years of aura photos were only blue Mm. and then you know things got a little wild from there but now that I am back in my 30s really over the last two years, I have kind of returned to blue.
0: So so you're saying in your own, you know, historical documentation of your aura since mm-hmm. you were 15. So we're talking about mm-hmm. a long time. 18 years. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for yeah. doing that math that I wasn't yeah. going to do.
1: Um, <laughs> um, I did it earlier this summer because I was like, yeah, it's been like 17 years. And then I was like, it's been 18. And I don't know why that one here, I was like, my first aura photo could vote. Like that one, I was percent
0: like, too wild. Okay. So you're saying that there was this original kind of color that was just, yes. just blue, like pure blue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then over time, your aura would, you know, shift and ebb and flow, and there were other colors, exactly. but you've yeah.
1: returned to blue. Hmm, and it's just interesting because it's like blue isn't my favorite color mm-hmm. when I was a very small child I had a blue bed but the room wasn't blue mm-hmm. I've never had a blue room but the great part is I I did paint my bedroom now blue and like a very bright blue nice. and I didn't even think about it until after it was done
0: i love that As, like,
1: self self-fulfilling prophecy Yeah, over here. it just
0: like kind of came came out yeah
1: yeah um of course the the window faces the driveway and not a canal but you know fair enough progress yeah
0: um, oh my god okay um, so the return to blue mm-hmm. and understanding that, yeah, there was something going on where your subconscious was giving you that image long before yeah. your actual aura photo did. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about like what blue represents for you, yeah, how are you sort yeah. of making sense of that at this
1: point? You know, I guess I sort of think about it as like blue is the like kind of that color of depth and, kind of returning to similar places but with added depth sure yeah
0: yeah okay blue as depth and when you were talking earlier about like kind of those facts about blue and kind of maybe the special Mm -hmm. way that humans relate to blue even as opposed to Mm -hmm. maybe other species life forms so Uh there's something maybe for humans about that kind of depth and that kind of like sort of conscious spiritual seeking maybe Mm, that humans (laughs) for better or worse are are wired to do Uh versus you know I think that other life forms maybe just connect spiritually so much more intuitively whereas for humans it's this like big (laughs) oftentimes this big fraught like process
1: totally well I think that they probably yeah like give themselves permission to connect more right I would imagine but we need to try to figure everything out with our little exactly. brains. Exactly, yeah. And it's interesting to even like think about that because it's like, well, the sky is blue, the ocean is blue. And thinking about in terms of like connection to the earth, you know, connecting to the sky, connecting to water. Yeah. You know, a lot of practices think about, you know, the cardinal directions, mm-hmm. air and water. There we are again with the color blue. Yep. Um, so it shows up like pretty immensely throughout time.
0: Yes. Okay. Immense, as in blue, representing this sort of this like eternalness. Like the sky yeah. just goes on and on totally. and on, and yeah. the ocean is this like eternal, unknowable thing. Yes. Yes. Cool. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So yeah. So. You mentioned that even as a child, you were having these mm-hmm. dreams that I mm-hmm. I take it, you see them as sort of aura related dreams where it's just these colors are like the main character. Does that feel fair yes. to say?
1: Yes. And I think definitely some of them I do. Definitely some of them I felt like the blue room, I've always felt like was a little bit more literal. But then some of the others, definitely when it's just this kind of like, Surrealist landscape that's just this like swirl of color. Mm-hmm. I do think, and I would probably say that it's just a, been a little bit more energy based. Sure. Okay. Because there's never necessarily, or I've never necessarily felt that they're like attached to one person or what place is aura, mm-hmm. but yet there is a sense of being attached to energy.
0: Yeah. Okay, now can you sort of clarify how you make sense of the difference between mm-hmm. energy and you know the ability to perceive energy versus the mm-hmm. aura? Are those things connected? Are they separate? Like how do you see that? That is a great question. And not that anyone really knows, but just for fun.
1: Exactly. I was gonna say I'll go back and forth a little bit. Yeah. So I tend to think about like aura. You know, if you look up the like non-metaphysical definition of an aura, yeah. it will tell you that it is like the energy of a place. Okay. Ooh, yeah. And so I really think about auras as being connected to people, places, and things. Mm-hmm. However, I think that there is energy that lives kind of between places, people, places, and things, and is like not necessarily always attached. I do tend to think about, especially when I, you know, in some classes, and with some clients, I do more teaching about how to see auras. Cool. And I talk about it in terms of learning how to perceive Mm -hmm. rather than see. Mm -hmm. Because we hold a lot of attachment that to really know auras, you are going to see this crowning, glowing halo of purple. It's going to be so literal. Exactly. And I think it is a lot different than that. I think that sometimes um, I know at least with me, sometimes it's seeing color, but sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's like a sensation. Sometimes, you know, it's nothing. Sometimes it's like something that you can like see coming off of a person or that you have to feel coming off of a person, but there's just a lot more, possibility than the idea of like you're always going to see a color attached to a person yeah and so you know i really think about that in terms of energy like really just being able to perceive an aura as being able to perceive energy mm-hmm. and it's that idea of like kind of once you're on the gate <laughs> once you get more like attuned to be able to perceiving energy whether that's your own energy the energy you're surrounded by, the energy of your home, of your workplace, of whatever it is, from there, you can kind of hone in on, or maybe, you know, tune into what is the aura and like, what is the aura from a person? What is the aura from a different person? What is the ways that these different energies are like interacting? Yeah. One of the big things I was like that idea of a, kind of like you have to be tuned in because it's like how to be tuned in without being attached to receiving something.
0: Oh, my gosh. Exactly. <laughs> Goddess, goddesses, please help us with this. We all need help with this. Please. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. just because okay i don't think i've shared this with you but i have through my own wild life yeah. events that i can share more yes. with you sometime i have found myself in a course of study about mm-hmm. psychism and mediumship cool and what i'm what i'm learning is that exactly what you're saying there is this beautiful and elusive balance to strike between being open and receptive and also mm-hmm. not attached to any outcome mhm Absolutely. I'm just completely neutral and I'm just perceiving and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is
1: so hard. It It is really hard. At least for me, it's so oh, no. hard.
0: It takes a lot of just time and practice.
1: Yeah, it is time and it's practice and it's really hard and it's hard on so many levels because first of all, like, your own self judgment, right? Where you're like, Of course, am I perceiving or am I making happened? all this up? Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting to me. There's also like this like ego based attachment, right? Yes, and that is like the one I see most often. Um, I have clients who will be like, Well, I am a mystical star seed special so special so so special so special and and so they have all this attachment this like and it's an ego-based attachment to these identities and then specifically like all of this is going to show up in my aura and i'm like i okay well, we'll see and they're typically pretty disappointed with their aura photo And they're, and they're typically like when that happens, they're not super open to the experience once they didn't get what they wanted.
0: Okay. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about an overemphasis on expectation and attachment Mm -hmm. to a certain outcome and needing to feel, you know, special
1: in some kind of way. Yeah. And it's, and it's a very just like ego based attachment, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, we all have an ego, you know, it keeps us alive. We're here. Yeah. It's built in. <laughs> exactly. There's a balanced ego and an unbalanced ego. And and that I think finding that kind of healthy amount of ego in terms of spiritual practice, in terms of perceiving auras, of you know, receiving intuitive hits, psychic information is incredibly challenging to find. Yes. I would agree
0: that I think for those of us who have found ourselves led to more of kind of a spiritual mm-hmm. path. Yeah. And by the way, for those who don't find themselves led that way, that's okay too. Like that I was. just literally can't help it. Like yeah. I've been through a whole journey of like fundamentalist religion, breaking all that down, mm-hmm. walking away completely, finding wow. spirituality again because I just like couldn't help it. I just like Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyways, so all that is to say that from where I sit, I see that working on kind of breaking down some of the more unhealthy aspects of the ego Mm -hmm, for me mm -hmm. is a huge reason why I feel drawn towards spirituality. It's like, because you've got some work to do. (laughs) Yeah. This will show you where you have some of these, uh, you know, sore spots.
1: Yeah. Sore spots. And I would say like for me, there is that and part of that is also with spiritual taking te- teaching is like moving beyond, you know, an unhealthy ego in a way that really allows you to see the interconnectedness mm-hmm. of yes. being, the interconnectedness of life. And I thought that has been one of the beautiful lessons yes. of spiritual practice.
0: Oh, I could not agree more. Yeah. Yes, because it start, it's kind of like you were saying about the dream, like, instead mm-hmm. of trying to figure out, like, what are these people in the dream trying to do to me? It's like, okay, so mm-hmm. maybe I am them and they are me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so how can that give me a more, like, balanced perspective? Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit more about your work. So please teach yeah. us about tertiary sight. First Absolutely. of all, what is
1: tertiary sight?
0: mean and what do you
1: do yes so tertiary site tertiary is the third of something okay and where that kind of play comes from is primary colors secondary colors and tertiary colors yes so it's like the third wave of color yes and then it's also a brow or like a a playoff of the third eye or the brow chakra love because especially when I you know, really started doing this work, I thought a lot about like giving people a third way to see themselves. Mm. Because we see ourselves as we think we are. We see ourselves as we think others see us. And then this was like, let's see how film sees you. Let's see how the aura camp sees you. Mm-hmm. And so yes, I am an aura photographer, an aura reader. I do take some coaching clients as well. And so, what I do is mostly revolves around the aura photos in particular. What I love about aura photos is that they're visual affirmations. Yeah. Because so I love readings of all shapes and forms. And something about the aura photo is just so much more of a physical manifestation than you get from a lot of readings. Absolutely. I was a really visual person, you know, that really spoke to me throughout time. Which is kind of how I wound up doing this. And so, typically, you know, in the studio, I have clients who I see anywhere from 15 minutes to two hours. And we do the photo and then we talk, do a reading of the photo, yeah. talking about what the colors are, where the colors are, and what it all has the possibility to mean.
0: Possibility. It's not, mm-hmm. there's not like a super,
1: you know, strict assigned meaning here. Totally one of the big things I really try to do is I try to use color as like a framework. Yeah. And actually, you know, in my readings, I ask more questions than I give like definitive statements or answers. I'm not particularly interested in personality diagnosis. I'm more interested in how we can use color as a way to explore ourselves and explore our world. Yes. And that's why my readings are really kind of designed to frame it that way. That's why I ask so many questions. That's why I talk about archetypes. That's why I say it all has possibility. Mm -hmm. Really kind of depending on the questions that clients ask, things like the idea of an aura shows up in about 97 different cultures across the world.
0: Oh, it's so collective. Yes. Yes.
1: It's so collective. And if you take, 97 cultures times a few thousand years of practice there's just so much possibility yeah there's not a right or wrong theory or practice it is about finding the theories the practice that works for you for your beliefs for your personal practice Mm -hmm. and so again when i talk about there's just all this possibility you know a lot of the meaning behind the colors in aura photos and auras in general comes behind from the study of the chakra system yeah now chakra is the hindi word for an energy center the idea of an energy center again shows up in about 90 cultures across the world yes and all of these different energy center systems range from saying we have everywhere from four chakras mm-hmm. to 144 chakras mm-hmm. So again, this is a place where there's
0: a lot, a lot, a lot of possibility. Variance, interpretation, and it's all Mm -hmm.
1: valid. Exactly. You know, I know that one of the big differences that is between the way I read and the way other readers who would read more of a traditional seven chakra system out of Hinduism is that I read blue, which is the color of the throat chakra or the throat energy center, I read blue as the color of the seeker of truth, and yellow, the color of the solar plexus energy center, as the color of the storyteller, the color of communication. Yes. And a lot of readers would read blue as the color of communication. Yeah. So one of my early teachers taught me that blue is where you decide what is true, what your truth is, blue is where you seek that truth. That blue is your emotional blueprint. It is that depth of truth. But that yellow, the solar plexus, which rules over your personal power, your will, your sense of autonomy, it is an act of personal power, how you decide what you communicate to others. Mm -hmm. That deciding how and what you communicate to others is an act of personal power. Mm -hmm. And You know, I was taught that pretty early on. I'm talking about at least 10 years ago. And so it's definitely like folded into my practice pretty deeply. But, you know, I've been, it's coming up on four years of doing client work. And I absolutely see that as true. Yes. Like it's been confirmed for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been confirmed for me. And it's interesting too, because it's, You know, so many people who teach energy centers, energy systems, energy work, part of it that they're teaching traditions, and then part of it, like they teach their own spin on it. Of course. And it can be very complex to kind of wade through, you know, what was just this person, what comes from a tradition, what tradition does it come from. And it's really only been in the past, I guess it's probably close to two years since studying the work of Cindy Dale, that I have noted that there are several energy center systems that come from Central and South America that also read blue and yellow that way. There you go. And so that is like very fascinating.
0: (laughs) There's like so much I want to say. I need time to... Stop and expand (laughs) so that I can sit here with you for another like several (laughs) hours. That's like how I'm feeling right now.
1: Literally. Exactly. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Digesting everything that you just shared. First of all, I'm interested in sharing some of these like resources. Mm -hmm. You were talking about Cindy Dale and just like these different places where people can learn more. But Uh I'm also curious for you Uh in terms of how you kind of started your course of study with all of this. Mm -hmm. Where did you start to learn?
1: Totally. You know, I'll say it's been a little interesting for me because I did get my first aura photo taken 18 years ago and they didn't give readings. They were like, here's your photo and have a nice life. Yeah. Take a gander and move on. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, like it wasn't really something you could just Google, right? Like the internet was a very different place. Then. Absolutely. And so to know more, I had to get a book to know more. Yeah. A real book. Yes, an actual physical book that I had to go to a store and order. You know, definitely, this has been something that I've been kind of, I would call a casual interest for about 18 years. I've been more seriously studying it for 10 years and like pretty intensely studying it for about six or seven years. And so I have read a lot of books (laughs) over time. I'll just say that. Uh, so many books <laughs> yes definitely you know i talked about the work of cindy dale cindy dale is an author and so she has a book that is sorry i'm usually like at a place where the know, books right? are right next to me but since my house is a yes. construction yes. zone i'm not it's the encyclopedia of energy i believe and it's a literal college textbook and it you can buy the workbook too. I'd highly recommend buying the workbook. And I mean it's, it's a college textbook. It's written like a textbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real dense. Yes. And excuse me. And it goes through all of these I, different, all of these different ideas and theories about energy. And not just like chakra systems, but about different energy healing, different energy modalities across the world throughout time. That one is definitely the most like has the most different sources of information in it great of course you know another teacher that i love is Andrea judith okay and she wrote the book wheels of life mm. which for a lot of people in america that was their first introduction to the chakra system mm. now the book of hers i really like is called western body eastern mind mm. And it goes through the traditional seven chakra system out of Hinduism and applies Western psychology terms sure. to those. Really like that one. I pretty heavily studied the work of Barbara Brennan. and Barbara Brennan's first book is called Hands of
0: Light. We'll put all this in the show notes for y'all. Don't worry. Perfect. Okay. And then I also would love just your kind of quick take on your camera and how yeah. it works.
1: Totally. So the camera is really interesting. The, I have an AuraCam 6000, also known as a Guy Coggins camera. It is a biofeedback imaging color spectrometer. Ooh. I know. I did not envision a future where I use the word spectrometer every oh, day, but like, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> so if you see the camera IRL, it's got these like hand sensors and then all these cords, and it goes through a large camera box. The hand sensors are biofeedback receptors. The official terminology that the company uses is that they are reading various physiological parameters. Okay. The way to think about it is like you are made up of electric currents, of electric charges, and those hand sensors are reading those electric charges, your electric currents, aka your frequencies or your vibrations. That information goes from the hand sensors to the camera box. In the camera box, there is patented and proprietary technology that is able to translate your frequencies into the corresponding color Mm -hmm. since color is also a frequency. Exactly. Um, That is like the shortness of how it works. That's fantastic. Fantastic. It's the most accessible way to think about it because there's a lot of terms that it's like, exactly. (sighs) okay you lost me like yeah no that really boils it Mm -hmm. down so so nicely and it's just like so fascinating because it's like it is a rare camera so like Mm -hmm. this is supposedly there's around a hundred of this generation of cameras Mm -hmm. this technology is patented and proprietary so like there are other aura cameras out there now that are not guy coggins cameras but they like mimic the way that this camera works and they give a really different experience. Okay. As I've kind of said, I've had my work photographed a whole bunch. Whole bunch. And I use this camera for a reason. And, you know, when I first started thinking about doing it, I actually had to wait for somebody to sell a camera to be able to get a camera. So it took me like almost three years, start to finish, to actually get one. Wow. The technology that Guy Coggins uses in this camera is based off of Karelian photography. Karelian photography was invented by a biologist in the late 30s, whose theory was that energy was everything, and he wanted to use photography to capture the energy of plants. Oh, love. Yes. Now, as you can imagine that theory energy is everything not widely accepted by the scientific community a hundred years ago, not widely accepted now. Mm -hmm. And so that technology has remained pretty niche. That was in the late thirties. And then in the seventies, a man named Guy Coggins was like, I think I can figure out how to make that work with people. Mm -hmm. When he was developing the aura cameras, he was working with not only scientists, but he was also working with like psychics and mediums, mm-hmm. people who already perceived auras yes. to make sure that there was some sort of alignment between what the camera was showing and what they could already see. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, like truly. Wow. Fascinating. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Absolutely. Oh
0: man. Okay. I really want to ask you about this. So Mm -hmm. your social media is so fun. Everyone go follow it. We'll link it. Thank you. I just love seeing, sometimes you'll post these grids of your own aura over mm-hmm. time. And it's yes. so incredible to see just these little shifts yes. and changes And like a period where there's a lot more gold and then the gold mm-hmm. kind of fades out and then there's more, yeah. more pink. And, but I've noticed on your social media, you talk about this a lot, where you'll get people who have this preconceived idea about some auras being bad or like worse than others. And then some being really good or better. And Mm -hmm. I will Mm -hmm. say that one of the most heartbreaking things I hear often is when I'm talking with people about your work and referring them to you, Uh they'll say something along the lines of like, Oh gosh, my aura is probably like, you know, black or it's probably like yeah. some horrible color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if you could just speak to that a little bit for those out there totally. who are maybe having some similar thoughts or feelings.
1: Absolutely. I'm so happy you brought that up. And the first thing I want to say is if you have a black aura, you're a ghost and we have bigger <laughs> fish to fry. We got to work on that. <laughs> I have like approximately 10 million other questions before we get to your aura if you are indeed a ghost. I love that. Yes. And so I will give just a little bit of background information where I think a lot of this comes from. And so in a lot of traditional energy systems, chakra work, there are lower chakras and upper chakras. Oh, sure. And a lot of traditional work like that is like you work through your lower chakras to achieve your upper chakras. Oh, like there's a hierarchy. Yes. That's exactly. And so like a lot of the ways that energy systems were originally taught and it still has some like, you know, it's claws in the ways that we look at energy work today is that there is this hierarchy. Yeah. I believe color is a non-hierarchical thing because it's, we're human and it's like, we are deeply human. We live deeply human lives and we're not one thing. We're many things all at once each color kind of has its own you know power its own strengths that we're going to need at different points in our lives mm-hmm. the color I'll give for an example is like people are always like i don't i don't want to have a bright aura i don't want to be angry and i'm like well you can be angry in any color yeah again
0: it's too oversimplified it's too literalist yes. like yeah
1: exactly Red itself is the color of the root chakra and our root chakra rules over how we show up IRL in the physical material world. It rules over our relationship to home safety and security. Red and a bright red aura often, it's an indicator of a season of change and new beginnings. Yeah. And these kind of changes can be everything, you know from starting a new job, going to college, moving to a new city, getting a divorce, getting married. But red is such a doing color. Red is about taking action in the physical the material world. There's a part of change that you can't really change unless you follow through, unless you do the thing. And red is so much about doing the thing. The thing is, is that there's not good, or color, good colors or bad colors. Exactly. It's just all information. Every color combination has its shadow and its light. The thing is, is that what is... Shadow for me could be light for you. Yeah, that is such a personal question. Um, the other example I'll give, which is like literally the other end here, totally white aura. Oh. And I've never had an aura that is 100% white, yeah, because I don't think you could have 100% white aura and be a person Ooh. because there would be a complete disattachment to the physical world,
0: yeah, which we can't do, yeah
1: exactly you just simply can't do it i've seen auras with a lot of white but never one that is completely white and it's because it's you know that is that crown chakra and it's that would be completely disattached from the physical in the world and you just as a human being that's just simply not possible yes i'll give another example of this and like some traditions they think about a rainbow aura as like that is it a rainbow aura is what you are working to achieve okay Now, in one sense, a rainbow aura, it's like you have everything firing. And at the same time, you have everything firing. Good point. (laughs) This is like, it's such a great example of like, yes, you have a lot here to support you. You also have a lot going on. Yeah. And so seeing, you know, kind of both of these shadows and light qualities of even something like a rainbow. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think it's really powerful. Like you said, tertiary sight mm-hmm. is about seeing yourself on this kind of other plane a bit more, yeah. a bit more magically, yeah. shall we say, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I that's... get to witness a little bit of my own magic. Yes. And so I think it's really powerful for people to get to see that with their own eyes, especially Absolutely. people who maybe had some fear about my aura is not going to show up. And then you mm-hmm. see your bright, beautiful colors and you get to really just be with that. Exactly. And that's powerful.
1: Yes, it really is. It is. Yes.
0: Okay. I want to make sure we touch on this as well. So please tell us what's happening when, if I come in for an appointment with you, right? Mm -hmm, I get mm -hmm. my beautiful photo. You do Mm -hmm. this lovely kind of unveiling of the photo, which is always very exciting. Uh And then we get a reading. And so please Uh describe kind of what's happening in the reading. And I would imagine that based on this conversation, this reading Uh is you tuning into this person's energy, right? So
1: would that be fair to say? Definitely. I, I mean, I do rely mostly on the photo, but when other things come up, it just gets folded into the mix. We just go with it. Yes. We take the photo. It takes four and a half minutes to develop. And then we'll ask questions, you know, check in about your day, people who are more concerned to try to put them more at ease at that point. Of course. And then we do the reading. And so within the reading, there's dominantly three placements. There's like expressive energy, present energy, and receptive energy. And so we start with expressive energy and we talk about like what those colors mean as something that you express to the world. From there, we move into present energy. And it's like, what do those colors mean as like things that are floating around your mind? You know, this is where your head wanders what kind of questions come up for you? What kind of questions are really taking up your present energy? And then moving into the left side of the photo, which is receptive energy, which this tends to be the kind of the trickier one to grasp. Receptive energy is kind of what you're calling in or letting in. Often it is what you are creating kind of with your energy and the energy from the universe that you're letting in. Yeah. And so then we talk about what color is there and what that all has that possibility to mean. Sometimes, depending on the color combinations, we'll talk more about what they all mean together, of course. But if you have one color that is more of a dominant color, we might spend a little bit more time talking about some like overall ideas of what it means to have that as a dominant color. Sure. There's just so much possibility for what that reading looks like based off of the aura. Mm
0: -hmm. Exactly. And so your typical reading Mm -hmm. lasts about 15 minutes. But if you'd like to do Mm -hmm. a longer session or even more of a consultation where you learn more about energy and perceiving energy, then you can do that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love. Love, love, love. I'm ready to come in for another aura photo soon. I've gotten my photo taken with you, I think about three times now. And each time has been a little bit different and it's just been Mm -hmm. so fun. I like doing what you do and kind of lining them up and looking at them over time, putting your dates on them. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're out of time. So last question, where can listeners find you, follow you, engage with your work, please?
1: Absolutely. So definitely come see me at Tertiary Site. My studio is in Five Points. I am appointment only, so you can book online at www.tertiarysite.com. And then, of course, the social media platform I'm on is Instagram. And so at Tertiary Site, if you want to see more examples, see the things that I talk about, sometimes they're funny. Uh, we'll yes. See. And oftentimes they are very
0: enriching. Like you've been known to yeah. quote some really beautiful authors and just give these lovely little pieces of food for thought. Yes, I love a quote. Love a quote. Right? Love a quote. Mm -hmm. Great. Jane, I wish we had more time. Honestly, I yeah, there's so much more that I want to know. But thank you for just giving us the really helping us boil down what you're about and just kind of Mm -hmm. kind of playing in this surrealist realm with me. I really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. I am so honored you had me here, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes, I will come
0: visit you soon. And thank you so much for sharing your energy and your knowledge with us today. Really appreciate you.
1: So happy to. I so appreciate you too. Yay. Yay.
0: That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest Jane Grody for casting your rainbow colored light onto us and sharing bits of your magical world. If you believe in this work and want to support the continuation of our show, please join us on Patreon. There we are building a community where you'll find bonus dream work exercises, guided meditations, community events, and so much more. The link to join is in our show notes. Don't forget, if you leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be automatically entered into a monthly contest to win a free 20-minute shadow work tarot session with yours truly. But please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at PsycheMagicPodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you, and you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Masuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Grace Fuse and Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.